It's time to take a big squeeze at the waiver wire for fantasy basketball. Let's look at added and drop players, moves we can make, moves we maybe don't need to make. Let's look at the trends. We're going to do all that stuff in this show because Michael Bolton said so. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I'm the other white meat. And I'm also the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore b-ball on TikTok at redrock underscore b-ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. So we're here for a waiver wire show. Just a quick update for those of you in the States. Thanksgiving coming up. Obviously, no games on Thanksgiving. We're going to have the full recap show today after 14 games. Again, disaster schedule, but we're going to do it. All 14 games recap today. There is no look-ahead show coming today. Tomorrow at... 3 p.m. Eastern, myself and Adam King will be doing a live mailbag show. So for those of you who want to get away from your families, who don't want to watch football on Thanksgiving or don't celebrate Thanksgiving, we're going to be going live 3 p.m. Eastern. That's 7 a.m. here Australian time, answering your questions. And then tomorrow, we'll also have a look ahead to Friday's action in the NBA with a daily look ahead waiver wire streaming show. That is what's coming up on the channel. Looking forward to having you guys here, and hopefully some of you guys can make it for the live mailbag show. But we're here to talk about the waiver wire as it currently stands and things that we need to pay attention to. And we're going to just start where we always do by looking at some guys who I believe are must-roster players. My cutoff here is I think these guys can be top 100 players um, for the rest of the season who are currently rostered in under 80% of leagues. So just have a look. Yeah, a lot of the same names there. Draymond Green has been dropped. Shouldn't be going at him. Points and category leagues, only two games left. Shouldn't be available in as many leagues as he is. Herb Jones. Uh, these last five names are, pr- are probably more category league than points. Not probably. They are more must for categories than they are must for points. Not to say you can't roster them in points. In fact, you could, but you don't have to in those situations. Herb Jones. Yes, there is stuff, and we detailed him on the buy low, sell high show yesterday that is going to come down for Herb. But he should be on a roster. De'Anthony Melton. He might lose minutes when Kelly Oubre returns. I don't really think that he will. I don't think what he's doing now really has anything to do with Oubre being out, but we'll find out. Doesn't matter. Roster him. Daniel Gafford. People are actually disappointed in Gafford. I don't know why. Would you take him pick 90 and he's the 90th best player? Cool. Like, needs to be rostered. Bud Heald. Now, I'm not sure about the Bud one because I put this here for this reason. If Buddy Heald is starting and playing 30-plus minutes, then he is clearly a must-roster player. He started last game and played 30-plus minutes. I don't know that that continues. That literally might not continue today. But it is very clear that Heald is a better player than Benedict Matherin. Is he a better player for the future of the Pacers? Absolutely not, because he won't be with the Pacers in the future, and he's seven years older or whatever he is, eight years older. But that's not what we're really debating here. If they want to win and they want to be better this season and push for a top six seed in the Eastern Conference, Buddy Heald gives them that ability to do that this season. So they, at the beginning of the year, were like, we're going to lean development with Matherin, and now they've switched over to Heald. But I don't know that that holds. 
Now, for a points league, I don't know that Heald in a starting spot is even a top 100 guy. So therefore, he's you, you want to add him, but he's not like, God, what are you doing? Please grab him. But in a category league, if this holds, you do want to have him. and But I don't know that it will. So he is must roster in the sense that you should grab him. And then we just see where it goes. I did not expect them making this change to their lineup yesterday. But I also don't understand how we interpret a 300-plus scoring game where Obi Toppin played 34 minutes off the bench. I don't know how any of that makes sense. So we're sort of in the dark with a lot of the stuff that Rick Carlisle does. And the other one's a Kongwu, who's 69% rostered. He is 100% a category league must roster player. Points leagues, he is not. And we have been pretty clear on that, I think, most of the way through. In points leagues, you would grab him if Capella is hurt or traded because in a bench role, he's not useful enough in a points league. In a category league, his value obviously spikes if Capella is out, but he provides enough back-end value now that he's useful to hold. There are some players, backups, Andre Drummond, who you don't get enough out of now to be worth holding in case Vooch is hurt or traded. That's a waste. A Kongwu does provide enough value now with huge spike value if guys get hurt. And to me, that makes him a very clear category league must-roster player. The droppable list. And again, don't just like screen. I know some people do this. They just screenshot the list and go, well, Josh said this. Listen to what I'm saying. And if you are on audio, you've got no choice but to listen to what I'm saying. These are guys that I think will be outside the top 150 rest of season where if they are on your team and they're the, your worst player, you consider them expendable. The first name on that list is PJ Washington. And your first response might be, ah, Josh, you said you don't need to drop PJ Washington. And you don't. That is correct. And sometimes, again, maybe I just need to find better words or better ways of describing all of this stuff. Saying PJ Washington is droppable does not mean automatically go and drop PJ Washington. It doesn't look great for him. I've adjusted my projections with him coming off the bench. Yeah, I've done all that. And it looks like he might be the 156th ranked player. I think that's where I had him, right? Which is borderline. It's borderline 12 team. It's it's in in the middle there, right? But for now, I'm just going to hold and see how it shakes out in a lot of cases. But if I'm getting rooted over really hard by injuries and then he is my worst player and there is actually a Buddy Heald that appears on the waiver wire or Daniel Gafford or Necro Kongwu or Draymond Green, I would make that switch immediately. That's what I mean with Washington. And it's going to get more squishy when Terry Rozier returns and then we'll get more information and move even further into him being a drop. So when I say someone's on the droppable list, in general, they're sitting there and you're going, yeah, right, they're in the firing line. Spencer Dinwiddie, the same. We got the most unsurprising update of all time on Ben Simmons. So, yeah, another 10 or so days. No shit. I'm very happy with my initial month prediction on that one. Um, but Dinwiddie is worth holding there. But when Cam Thomas returns, he may not even be worth holding in that scenario. But for now, he's a soft, soft hold who looks to transition to a droppable player. These, All of these guys, the first four guys, are all italicized, meaning they're more, they're better in, in this situation. I'm talking they're better in points leagues and they're more droppable in category leagues. Benedict Matherin. Well, this one, I don't think you need to hold. I think that's a very clear drop. Um, we called him as drop in week one or week two, and then he had two big games in a row. I look stupid, and then he's gone back to being a droppable guy the whole way, and now he's on the bench, and he might move back to starting, but I actually don't care. He's a very clear drop to me. And the next one is Russell Westbrook, who, again, that's more category league based. 17 and 25 minutes in his two games off the bench. One was putrid, one was all right. But I don't think that you need to hold on to Westbrook thinking, well, just wait. He's going to run 33 usage in 27 minutes off the bench. He's going to command that second unit. I just don't think he's going to play enough. 
And I don't think he's going to get that usage. And I, I just don't think that it's worth him being labeled as a must-roster player. The last two, I think, are drops in both formats. And that is Isaiah Stewart and Andrew Wiggins. The Wiggins one, you could talk talk uh, talk me around, especially in points leagues where you might want to consider holding on to him. But he's had like one good game and one okay game out of the 13 games that they've played. And his category league upside is so low anyway because of all the, the deficiencies in his game, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, uh, field goal, free throw percentage. Like He's bad at a lot of things that I'm not sure we want to hold there. As for Isaiah Stewart, he'd been getting a little bit of a boost because Jalen Duran had been out, but I'm expecting both Jalen Duran and Boyan Bogdanovich to return on Friday. And even if they don't start those two ahead of Stewart, which again, they 100% should, this Stewart's value is just not going to be there. And it's one of those situations, again, is Stewart on my team, is he the worst player? Probably yes. So that means you probably need to give him the ass and he's got no business um, being held onto it in that scenario. So there are six names that you can consider as droppable with all the caveats that I just uh, chucked out there. All right, where does that bring us to now? Well, it brings us to look at some waiver wire trends across the NBA, who have been the most added players. We start in Phoenix with Eric Gordon and Grayson Allen, 48% rise for Gordon, 21% for Grayson Allen. It is really hard to understand how these guys produce, not how they produce value, but which one is going to produce value on which day. It feels a little bit like they just alternate good games back and forth. But as long as Bradley Beal is out, these two guys are starting. They're playing good minutes, and they are usable on 12-team rosters. They should be considered guys that you look at as a prime number one stream option, or if you just want to hold through the weeks, you can do that as well. Both the guys have been added. That was mainly for yesterday, I'm guessing, but absolutely totally okay to hold those guys until we see what happens with Beal. Lonnie Walker, also one of the most added players. Now, Walker is one of those guys, and this is going to be a very, very common thing that happens all the way through when, when we talk fantasy and waiver-wise and all that sort of stuff. When you look at Lonnie Walker, people love when someone scores points, and they hate when someone doesn't score points. That is the simple answer to a lot of waiver-wire trends. Did you score two points, or did you score 26 points? That is the level of analysis that a lot of people, not you guys, because I know you guys are really, really smart. A lot of people, that is the analysis they'll go into. His um, field goal attempts per 100 possessions this season, Lonnie Walker, are sitting at numbers that he has never done before. He is at 25.3. Last season, he was at, uh, what was he at? Last season, he was at 19. The season before, 22, 19, 17, 19. So he's just wildly above. And I think that's because Cam Thomas is out. He is also shooting 46% from three, okay? A number which, again, he's not going to be able to do. He is also hitting 56% from two. And the man has only ever had one year of over 50, and that was last year at 52. And yes, there can be improvements. Not like this. And no team, I don't think, is going to be saying, yeah, Lonnie, can you just take every shot in the world every game? So everyone's added him trying to chase these big scoring games. I get that. And with Dennis Smith and Ben Simmons and Cam Thomas still out, there is some usability in, in Walker. But I don't think this is the the evolution of Walker. I don't think this is the second coming. You'll see some real NBA analysts and ones that I respect talk about, man, Lonnie's been so good for this team. He's been excellent. And that's true when we look back. Now, this, this is, again, I'm going to go off tangent because I've got a little bit of time. Part of what we do in fantasy is we look back a bit, 
but it, we also want to look forward. So I can very easily sit here and go, man, Lonnie's been awesome. He's shooting 46% from three, 56% from two, usage is high. That's been fantastic. What a great contributor he has been. But the second part of what we have to do then for fantasy, which real-life NBA analysts don't have to do in this sense, is that we have to look at this now and go, okay, cool, that happened. But will it? Will it continue? And the odds would tell us absolutely not. So while it's fine to add Lonnie now, you don't get those games. You don't get credit for what has happened. The likelihood is that all of that doesn't happen and the usage drops four or five percentage points, and the three-pointers drop eight percentage points, and the twos drop three percentage points, and that all falls away. So that's the difference when you're seeing something or you're seeing ball don't stop or, you know, uh, hezzy tween stepback.com or whatever bullshit site, man, Lonnie cooking, yeah, he just needed a chance, yeah, and you go, yeah, I knew it, knew it, yeah, look at him scoring. That's all good. He did those things, and he did them, and they are very good, but they don't mean that they will continue. And I, I don't think I explain that very well, but we have to have a slightly different mindset when we're looking in fantasy. We can acknowledge that something was great. Well, it's like this takes me back to the Bol Bol stuff last season. Bol was great, right? He was awesome for that little stretch. And the people who were like, man, look at Bol, he's dominating. Forget Wembenyama, this is Bol. Bol, MIP, he's going to put up these numbers. No way they take the minutes away. Whereas we, as a general rule, the fantasy community looked at it and went, yeah, but seven rotation players are out. He's not going to have a 15% block percentage or shoot 60% from three. So there's no way this stuff's holding. Be ready for it to go away. And you seem stupid when it's happening in the time. And that's the sort of stuff you need to sort of pay attention. So it's all well and good to try Lonnie Walker. But again, and then most people say, we get it, George, we get it. That is a slightly different mindset that I think we need to adopt. Anyway, shut up, Josh. Santiago Dharma, one of the most added players over on Yahoo!, Rightfully so. We are going to get a very interesting piece of information on him today. He took 27 shots last game. He has been jacking up shots like crazy. The opportunities are here with everybody out. Smart, Tillman, um, Morant, Canard. These guys are all out and out for long term. So Aldama's got the opportunity. The minutes and the role is going to lock in short term. Does the usage lock in? That is my concern. But yeah, it's a great opportunity here. Alex Crusoe up almost 3,000 ads. Cool. Should be. Until he falls apart, you should add him. And the other one is old Leaky Beasley, up 2,700 teams. I Okay, sure. Like, I don't know why you would rush to add Beasley to play on a 14-game Wednesday when I don't trust his production in the slightest. Yeah, he can get some points. Huh? He can hit some threes. Sure. I, I don't trust it. I wouldn't be rushing to add him to start him today. He's okay, but I don't really agree with that one that much. The most dropped players. Number one is Skylar Mays, and this is correct while also being incorrect. And I'll again, I'll explain what I mean by that. With Malcolm Brogdon back, what we said with Skylar Mays, and we talked about this weeks ago, Mays is great, and short-term, he will beat a lot of other players. But when we're talking about long-term, it's not there, and it needs one of Brogdon or Scoot to return for his value to be cooked. And we saw yesterday that that was the case. That Brogdon came back, he played 23 minutes, he was okay, but he wasn't great, and the value is gone. But they play today, and I don't think Brogdon's going to play on the back-to-back. So you might squeeze one more 32-minute game out of Skylar Mays. So I would have held for one more day. When you got the news that Brogdon was back, you did not need to drop Mays immediately, outside of what I said initially. Like if my call is to get Brogdon onto my... If Brogdon's available and I have to drop Mays to do it, I would do it. Longer-term thinking. 
but you didn't have to drop Maze because A, Brogdon could have re-pinged his hammy immediately. Definite possibility. And there's a chance that he didn't play on the Wednesday where Maze could step into another 30-minute game. And then after Wednesday, I feel really confident about dropping Maze. I just think that maybe we went a little bit too early on that. Alec Burks down 21%. Yeah, look, he barely played last game. Ivy started. Burks is just that on-off streaming sort of a player that's going to almost fit that perfect description of when I talk about guys like Kevin Herter. Those players we go, oh, yeah, that's fine. He looks his 130th. That makes sense in a 12-team league. But overall, you don't need to hold on. And when minutes fall, he falls. And J.D. McDaniel's down 19%. Totally reasonable. Out for a few weeks. Get rid of him. Uh, on Yahoo, Cameron Reddish was dropped in 9,000 teams. Man, the fact that he was rostered in 9,000 teams is a lot. He hurt his groin. I'm expecting a little bit of time off. He was just a steel streamer. You can drop him. Gaz Trent. People, I guess, added him to stream yesterday, but also he had, what did he score? Three points. So when people see three points, they drop. We can't be like, let's rephrase this. We can't be as like results focused on one game of poor shooting. If you do believe in Trent as a, as a guy, and you shouldn't. Let me, let's get this straight. You shouldn't believe in him. So I've got, I don't know why I'm arguing this because I don't think Gary Trent should be rostered. But there is a lot of reaction to when someone scores you know, three points on nine shots that they get dropped immediately. Like you don't, you don't get to wipe that game off your slate. So if you did believe in him longer term, that shouldn't have changed your mind. You shouldn't believe in him long term. But if you did, that shouldn't have changed your mind. The other one's Killian Hayes. That's a really easy drop. I think, I think there's a risk that he uh, he finds his ass out of the rotation at some point soon. Maybe we'll see. All right, let's look at hot players, guys that really stepped up over the last week and vaulted themselves into the last into the top 100 over the last seven days. Derek Lively, he's available in a lot of spots. Now, this is slow going for him. It's, he's a rookie. He's not going to blow us away. He's not going to be dropping 20s and 12s with five blocks. He's not going to do that. But in the category leagues, especially not a points league guy, don't worry in 12-team leagues for points leagues, uh, for Derek Lively. But in a category league, He's going to give you stuff that's not super far away from a um, Daniel Gafford. He's not going to give you stuff that's like super, super far away from Nick Claxton. Claxton's really good, but he's not going to be 20 and 10 with five assists. Lively might be seven and eight with two blocks and 65%. And while that seems like nothing because he scores seven points, the numbers are useful. I do believe that he should be on a 12-team roster somewhere. Now, it might not make any sense for your team, and that's totally reasonable. But for one team in your league, he should be rostered. Gogo Badadze and Cole Anthony, both available in over 50% leagues. Anthony's game yesterday was impressive, but we can't really trust that. But while Markel Fultz is out, there is at least something there for him. I don't look at him as a guy we necessarily need to add, but Gogo probably is. And same with Mo Wagner. Badadze's last game was amazing. Good blocks, good assists. He almost, I think he set a career high in assists in that game and almost had a career high in the first quarter. We know he's not going to play 31 every night, but being a starter and when you get off to a hot start, that does give you the advantage. So often when I'll say, like, if someone's starting, it does help them. It gives them more range for more minutes because they've got that six, seven minutes to begin the game that if things start rolling, then the coach will go with them more. Whereas if you're coming off the bench, you don't have that ability to do that because if the guy in front of you is rolling, well, you just don't get a chance to get in ahead of him. And that's where that, it's a small difference, but starter versus bench player, you always get that, you know, it's maybe 55-45, the advantage goes to the starter because they've got that ability to push two, three, four extra minutes. So Gogo's worth looking at. Eric Gordon's in the top 100, talked about him already. Alex Caruso talked about him already, putting up some good numbers. And Taylor Horton Tucker, 
even though he shot 10% yesterday, his assists and steals over the last seven days have been solid. And what we said about him was, A, he's bad to watch and I can't stand watching him play. B, he's not a great all-around fantasy player, but now that he's in a bench role, he is going to turn into a very solid stream option when you're looking for assists and steals. And that has absolutely happened over the last seven days. And I think we should continue to treat him in that way, that he's an interesting stream guy where we don't have to consider him a must roster. Let's look at some injury replacement players. And first of all, we go to unknown player, Craig Porter Jr. And yes, I am aware that ESPN has, has added him. You don't have to come and run to the defense of ESPN for adding a player who's been on a roster since September and adding him on November the 19th, right? We can still hang shit on them for being bad. Craig Porter Jr. might, like I not might, I think he's actually legitimately good already. Now, you saw, I talked about him ages ago, like, I don't know, week two or whatever, and said, watch this man. This is mini Derek White sort of stuff. I am not expecting Craig Porter Jr. to be a 12-team league player this season or even a 14-team league player. Or honestly, I don't know that he even sticks in the rotation. But I do know that he is better than Milk. He is better than Ty Jerome. I don't expect that Ricky Rubio plays this season at all, honestly, at this point. But there's still Garland, Mitchell, and Levert, and Okoro ahead of him. The good thing is, is three of those guys are out. Well, we don't know yet about Levert for Wednesday. So as long as they remain out, and the Cavs have a weekend back-to-back, and my understanding is, very, very thinly sourced, very thinly, very thinly, is that the Cavs are probably going to try and find a way to keep Porter in the rotation... And they've got an open roster spot. And once he hits his 52-way games, they will convert him to a full-time contract. I don't know that for sure. But it's what I believe is the plan. That, to me, just means that they will consider him a piece of the rotation. And then whenever Garland or Mitchell or Levert is out, he'll get 15 minutes. But when three of them could be out and might even miss more time across the weekend, Porter is good. And if we're in dynasty formats, what is his upside? Hmm. Let me throw out something for an undersized... I won't throw Derek White out because I've done it a lot. An undersized, undrafted guard who turned into an all-star. Do you know who it is? Fred Van Vliet. I am not saying that Craig Porter Jr. is Fred Van Vliet. I am not saying Craig Porter Jr. will become Fred Van Vliet. I am saying that we have an example of an undersized, undrafted point guard becoming a very good NBA player, and his name is Fred Van Vliet. And Craig Porter has the ability, has the ability to become that guy at some point, potentially with 2% likelihood outcome. Santi Aldama, really strong injury replacement. We talked about him already. Kyle Anderson, with him, um, I think he is the guy replacing uh, Jaden McDaniels, not in the starting lineup. It will be most likely Nikhil Alexander-Walker, but Anderson is the guy that I would want there still. Badadze is the Wendell Carter replacement. Eric Gordon is the Beal replacement. And I threw Jaime Huckers in there. Duncan Robinson is the Tyler Hero replacement. He is the guy that we want. Huckers is a little bit hard to completely pin down, but the overwhelming amount of games, he's got 30 minutes and he's been pretty good. His shooting numbers have been probably too high and probably going to come down. I mean, two-point numbers, threes have been low and they'll always be low, I think. But Huckers is an interesting option. I still definitely prefer Robinson. I probably prefer Lowry in a lot of spots, but I could also very easily make an argument for Huckers over Lowry. And he is providing numbers. I don't see how it sticks as we move forward, but he's been he's been impressive in his role. And lastly, we've got six other names that we're going to talk about here. 
Number one is Bilal Kulabali. Now, Bilal, we can talk about Bilal, wait till they hand him the keys and get him his role. He's playing 30 minutes already. So that part's already done. That's already sorted. It's already, it's already there. There are some things with Bilal where I go, he's great. Love the defense. That's fantastic. But he's shooting like 46% from three, and that won't hold. That will come back down. Will he ever be tasked with a large usage role? I would say almost definitely not. I don't see that being the thing for him or a big ball handling role. I don't see that being the thing for him. I can see him being a guy that is not quite what Nick Batum is now, but that sort of level of player, an assist here, a rebound here, a steal here, a block here, some okay shooting, but all really low volume and he's already playing 30 minutes. He is totally okay to hold if you want and see where things go. But I'm also going to be of the opinion, I think that Bilal is going to be a fringe 12-team league guy for most of this season. The same will go for Keontae George. Although with George, I have more hope in his upside. Now, you can easily look at Keontae George, and if you want to be an absolute numbers guy, go, well, look, he's only ranked 200th, Josh, so it's not worth holding. And sure, that's great. But like when we talked about the Lonnie Walker scenario, are we playing for what's already happened? Or are we playing for what's happening in the future? And George, last game, didn't get many assists, but you know, his teammates couldn't hit a single shot. And I think that would have impacted, what well, did impact a lot of that. The assists are already super valuable. That is so hard to get off the waiver wide done, right? I think he can be a better steals guy than he's been. I think he's had one steal in each of his last three games, which is a step up. But at the moment, he's shooting 30% from the field. Now, he was a very bad shooter at Baylor, like 39%. And actually, in all of the pre-draft process, I was actually down on Keontae. He was one of those guys where I said, there's always someone in one of these draft classes who... Um, he comes in and is this usage player who scores inefficiently. Shout out to Johnny Davis, who just doesn't work in the NBA. I think I said, I reckon it might be George. And then he lost a bunch of weight. His ankle healed. He looked great in summer league. I think he's looked great in the NBA. And I've been wrong on that, right? I was wrong on that pre-draft evaluation of him. But in terms of where he is now, I just he's not going to be an efficient shooter, Keontae. But he's not going to be a 30% guy either. Even if you just add nine percentage points onto that, that's already a gigantic jump up. And remember, field goal percentage, while 39 is still a punt field goal, the inf- impact of that is scoring. It's more points. It's more threes. The assists are already there. He looks comfortable enough as a starting point guard now. Now, I do not believe that he is a league winner. I do not believe that Keontae is going to smash the top 100 and be this top 70 player rest of season. I don't believe any of that. What I do believe that he's a starting point guard who is young, who's got room to improve, and I want to see what happens over the next three to four weeks. And if there is zero improvement... In the, by the middle of December, I will cut bait. I have no problem. I'm not holding him forever. But a rookie pushing into a large role when rookies will almost definitely always get better January onwards, that's why I want a piece of him now. And I'm okay taking on the Owls on a team that is relatively healthy and relatively successful, which they are on all the teams that I have him, then I'm good with that. Jaden Ivey, starting... I, that whole organization is disgusting, and I, I don't really know what they're going to do with Ivy. Ivy has been somewhat disappointing, I would say, this season. Not that he's been bad, because he's had he's actually shown some improvements from last season. But maybe it's maybe it's more fair to say that his fit on in that team is a little bit iffy at the moment, which was part of the concern we had, I guess, at times with him when he was drafted. It was like, oh, I'll take the talent, but mm, how does it work? But he is starting. He is starting over Hayes, and the minutes are there, and that's like almost mirror what I said about Keontae. Young guard, not a rookie, but a young guard who's moved into a starting role. Let's grab and see. We'll just see what happens. We'll see where it goes. We'll see can he, how he develops. And then we move on if it doesn't work. Obi Toppin, I'll put his name on this list because he played 33 minutes and was amazing last game. 
I, I don't buy it for a single second. But 29 minutes of Obi Toppin is actually 12-team worthy. So we need to watch that role. Norman Powell is on this list because he has been added in a few spots. He is closing games for the Clippers. And if you're looking for points and threes, Powell does it and does it usually relatively efficiently. I don't buy that he's a must-roster player because I don't believe that he is. But that points and threes value is something there for him for sure. And the last one is Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I believe he is going to start with McDaniels out. I added him in a 12-team league, which was actually a 14-team league in terms of league depth. I think we go 180 players deep. I added him in that league. I think that's about the right range for Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Because in 30 minutes, he might go 12, 4, 3, 1.4 steals, shoot two threes a game, and that's all right. And the increased opportunity from 20 minutes to 32 minutes is enough to put him on those radars for deeper leagues and at least turn him into a 12-team streaming option. And that is the waiver Wire show. Are there any players that, you, that I didn't talk about? I can't talk about everyone. We covered about 40 names, I would say, here. Anyone I didn't talk about that you want to talk about, you can drop that in the comments below and I will get to some of those comments and other people will chime in and chat about all that stuff. What did you think about my analysis of Lonnie Walker? Did I go for too long? 100% yes. I might even comment that myself. Josh, you went too long. But it's more about getting that overall mindset of how do you determine what happened versus the way media approaches things versus the way that fantasy media needs to approach things. And I think that there's somewhere, hopefully if you dig deep enough through my bullshit, that you can find a usable lesson or idea in that. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on Odyssey. And on YouTube, you thumb that up, you leave your comments down below, you share it, you tell your friends, you interact. It's all good if you do that. Guys, we're done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.